Welcome to the Series Show of Entrepreneurship and Regional Development Podcasts. Each publication in our journal is a great opportunity to share significant and audacious contributions to a large audience. My guest today is Stephen Knox from School of Business, University of Dundee, UK. He published an article entitled Identity Work in Different Entrepreneurial Settings, Dominant Interpretive Repertoires and Divergence Driving Agendas. He co-authored this paper with Lucrezia Casuli and Andrew McLaren. It has been published in Entrepreneurship and Regional Development, a journal edited by Tiller and Francis. Stefan, welcome to our show. Can you, Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us what is the origin of your paper? Why have you decided to address this particular topic? And what is the question you aim to answer with your paper? Uh, so really this paper originated um, from something I observed when I was doing my PhD work. Um, so I witnessed two different communities of practice. Uh, one was sort of a high growth setting, a business network, uh, where entrepreneurs with sort of growth ambitions would, would come together, interact, share knowledge. The other was sort of a, a, a creative hub where sort of creatives from predominantly from like art school graduates come together and, you know, share their knowledge about their business and their creative practices. And they really spoke different languages, uh, you know, operated, discussed things in, in different ways. So really, we wanted to explore what was going on on, on here. Um, so the gap that we looked to address was 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 how these situated interactions helped to shape the social identity construction, uh, and how these entrepreneurs work to fit into into their belonging. What are the main contributions of your paper? Um, well, the, the the main contribution um, is really how. Um, so social identity categories or types, I mean, we've all heard of sort of um, Darwinians, missionaries from um, Falcott, sorry, bad pronunciation, Falcott and Gruber's sort of seminal work. So we, we looked at, well, how are these reproduced and main, you know, maintained? More looking at the sort of the process, the processual perspective as opposed to the, the property perspective. Um, so I know you, you, you've done some work, some work there. So it's it's really looking at the, the work that goes on to create the, the, the social identity, you know, and fit in and belong. Uh, and what we found is that they create different uh, repertoires of, 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 of in their narratives of, of how they construct their identities. Um, so in the high growth setting, we found that it was very uh, instrumental, very structured. It's a very functional interaction with other people within the network. It was all about uh, hitting targets, performance, it was a, you know, a transactional exchange. Uh, and there was really quite a divergence with, with, with the creative hub, where it was more about uh, you know, the relationships, the building, looking for personal interaction, personal experiences to give meaning to what they were doing within, as they were developing their ventures. Uh, and then we looked a bit deeper and we, you know, we, we found, well, what, what's driving these interactions? Uh, and there was a very sort of esteem-driven kind of, you know, sense that we got from the, the growth network where they're wanting to become the ideal, the ideal type within the community. They want to be um, known as a growth entrepreneur who's, who's doing an excellent job in, in growing the business and, 
you know, innovating and winning awards. And so there's a very sort of esteem driven narrative throughout their life stories. Uh, um, and, and in the in the creative hub, it was more about that 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 closeness and that sort of need to belonging, social validation. Uh, you, you know, having you know making friends out of business advisors and friends with with people that could be seen as competitors, and uh, and it was just a, it was a nice story. Uh, I mean, we did we do see crossover in the in the narratives as as they are interacting uh, in different settings. These weave into the sort of the life stories, uh, but these were the sort of the 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 the, di- the divide the, sorry the divergence that we that we saw. What was for you the main uh, theoretical or maybe methodological challenge in addressing such a question? This this is a good question, and, and I I thought about this one, and and the challenge that we faced was well how how do we capture identity when we're talking to entrepreneurs when we're observing entrepreneurs how you know. How does that come forward, and how can you present that within within the evidence? Uh, and this was something the reviewers also flagged up in an earlier version of the paper. Is well, how is this, you know, how how is this quote showing, for example, identity work? Um, so we, you know, we used a life story approach our interviews, where we asked our participants to expend the memorable experiences and the journeys and sort of the communities that were influential in and the interactions that they had and how this helped to shape the, the, their entrepreneurship. Uh, and then from these sort of uh, life stories, we see with these narratives of identity, these are, you know, they're presenting who they are, what they've done, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then we derive sort of the meaning from from these stories, from these narratives. Um, so, so it is a life story and narrative is a single sort of interview when you look at the life life story, that's the how how the identity is constructed at that point of time in that interaction with the interviewer. So that's you know a struggle to to really say well you know it's a life story, but it's really just captured in one sort of moment in time. So I think in the paper as well we say that if we can view these interactions that these entrepreneurs are having in communities over time, we can really advance this sort of this line of Line of work a bit a bit further by having this longitudinal uh, uh, sense of uh, interaction. Um, so, for example, when the creative entrepreneurs would go into the business community, maybe they would go speak to a business advisor, or they join sort of a business network that wasn't necessarily about an artistic or creative practice. How how do they 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 interact? Do they adopt the the language of the the setting? You know, is there a dominant interpretive? And over time, what's the process they're doing? And how does that feed into how they are and what they're doing with the venture? So these are all sort of questions I think that a more advanced methodological approach could could unlock, which which I think would be interesting to do. So I think the next sort of setting would be to get into a Sort of maybe a you know a, a program or an incubator or an accelerator where you have that time element and you can really just see how these interactions change over time and how this feeds into the identity work of the entrepreneurs. During your research journey, what was your biggest surprise or maybe the most counterintuitive result? Well, I don't I don't think we had any sort of real surprises. Perhaps we had a counterintuitive result. Um, when we're looking at the creative sample, um, 
regarding the interactions when they did start to come into contact with these business communities and uh, what happened to their, you know, their, uh, their, their identities as they did interact in these different settings. Um, so what we see is we see what almost a defiance against business norms that crept into some of the, some narratives. So, so for example, uh, they had a, um, a couple of entrepreneurs who, 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 who were running a very successful business that was, that was growing, they were, you know, with a creative sort of backbone, but they were, they sort of stopped some, uh, a productive and, and profitable sort of service line, a product line that they had, because it just wasn't fulfilling their creative needs. Um, so obviously that goes counterintuitive to much of the mainstream entrepreneurship literature and what people are taught in textbooks. If you know, there's something profitable, turn it into a cash cow or whatever, so you can help to develop other business and you expand and grow. It's, so it seems counterintuitive. And there was a lot of other sorts of counterintuitive practice that, practices that we see sort of having controversial, well, not controversial, but different opening hours for businesses um, and, and, and things like this and, you know, you know, expressing more sort of political uh, affiliation within the products, within the business, uh, not trying to appeal to the mass consumer and really staying authentic to who they are. So that's, we, we actually went on to explore maybe this in sort of another paper that we, that we did from my PhD work so that our paper stops really at this sort of sort of highlighting it oh this is interesting and then we go on to explore it in a in another paper so that's really the counterintuitive nothing nothing overly surprising i don't think what are the main implications of your work for entrepreneurs managers or practitioners in general so the main uh implication is really for uh, practitioners that look to support entrepreneurs, be that in education environments or if you're a resource provider, for example, in the ecosystem, you know, you're offering a service. Um, so it's what language are they really adopting when they're speaking to these different, uh, you know, different business owners. Um, it's, it's really looking at the, the, the heterogeneity of, of entrepreneurs uh, and recognizing the different backgrounds and you know, the different communities that they belong to and, and, and seeing what well, is the language we're adopting, is it inclusive or exclusive? So we've also done some work with sort of public sector business advisors um, within Scotland. And, and you can see that the, the generally the language that they adopt is more towards the structural instrumental sort of high growth network. How, how fast are you growing? How many jobs can you create? Um, so it's a very sort of functional uh, it, you know, generally there's always exceptions, you know, you know, to the rule. Um, so what effect does that have on, on the entrepreneur you're talking to? So it, it could be, you know, counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve is, which is helps support someone to grow their business. Um, if through the language and the way you're talking, you're, you're excluding. So a lot of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs within the creative setting don't identify as, as an entrepreneur even though what they're doing is, you know, uh, creating and exploiting opportunities by using their artistic skills. Um, so it's anything to do with, you know, business models or finance can be sort of off-putting and, and you know, disrupt the journey because it has sort of has a 
a challenging effect on on who they see themselves and what they see that they're doing. Um, so it's it's really the implication is there is for the people that are interacting with a variety of different um, people from business backgrounds is, you know, education, educators as well is what sort of messages we're putting out there, what language we're, we're talking and how can that sort of influence the, the entrepreneur. Thanks a lot, Stefan, for uh, sharing uh, your story about your paper and participating to our show. All our podcasts are available on entrepreneurship.crd.com and on the main podcast platform.